fire. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Chaubert Show. I'm really excited to have my next guest, who I've been fortunate enough to know for about 10 years, Steve Cho. Steve Cho, welcome back. Actually, welcome to The Chaubert Show. I feel like, uh, Chaubert, it's crazy because I remember 10 years ago when we first yeah. met, and it's amazing how things have just you know progressed in life, and I'm just really honored to be here. I'm really happy oh. for you. Just uh, This is, is quite the, the pleasure, so thank you for having me, yeah. Oh, man, I, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's... It's a privilege to have you here, and it's great to share your story. I think you have a very interesting, cool story. And speaking of which, we'd love to know who is Steve Joe. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you a bit about myself. Perfect. And uh, really, again, so like when I kind of look at my past, like, and my career spans quite a bit of time. I don't want to age myself on this specific thing, but I could tell you that I've definitely had you know trials and tribulations. I failed quite a bit. I've succeeded a bit as well. And along the way, I got to tell you, like, I just met a lot of really good people, and I think a lot of those people that I met really either believed in me. And also believed in the general vision of what I wanted to do with my career. I think that's something that you kind of get through the entire conversation that we have here today. I'm going to yeah. go back to when I actually completed business school. After I completed business school, um, I was at IBM for a while. I actually sold the pipes and plumbing of the internet middleware software, basically. For wow. Yeah. The bag, was a commission sales rep. Uh, really uh, had a great time doing it. Made a lot of money doing it. But then one day I woke up and realized that just maybe, just maybe, I didn't want to be an IBMer for the rest of my life. Because people that worked at IBM at the time would be at IBM for like the rest of their lives, right? So yeah, yeah. I looked in my bathroom mirror one day and realized, do I want to be a VP at IBM? And I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I think the people out there listening that are working at IBM, it's a great company, love it. IBM sales school is the real deal. It's like literally, I'm not even joking, Showbird. It's like six, seven months. They send you, I think wow. we went to Atlanta, Georgia to actually yeah, yeah. IBM signature sales. And it was an amazing experience. But what I learned out of it was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to work for a big company forever. And I really wanted to go out there and find a way to kind of prove myself. Like, I think a lot of people that come to the Silicon Valley with a level of curiosity because they feel like, wait a second, I actually want to work on something that could prove myself, but at the same time, something that I really believe in. And so for a while there, when I was working at IBM towards the end of my career, I started looking at startups. I remember reading TechCrunch and looking at the different things that were out there. And I remember weighing out my options. I remember seeing this one startup called Keep. Uh, Keep at the time was this uh, loyalty rewards-based startup where basically what they were doing is they were trying to disrupt what we consider to be traditional in, in mobile advertising, right? So mm-hmm. rather than just seeing advertising as advertisement from a brand, Keep was all about, hey, you just hit a high score moment in this game. And in this game, you've now earned a bag of Skittles, which could be redeemed at like a 7-Eleven. So I thought that was really powerful because we're taking what I consider to be traditional ad units that were kind of boring and somewhat like uh, redundant and finding a way to you know, inject a new life into them where basically within any mobile app or game, you could actually thank your users in that moment. And the question was, I guess, with a lot of mobile app and game developers at the time when I was working at Keep, was this idea behind um, thanking them in that moment, moment-based rewards. But unfortunately for Keep, uh, when I look at that experience, although it was amazing, we were maybe, I think, ahead of our time in terms of the way we were looking at it, mainly because we were up against this other thing called programmatic advertising. Yeah, <laughs> so today- Supply side, RTB, the entire works of what we believe now to be someone along the lines of performance marketing, right? Correct. Um, so when we look at all that, like it was definitely an interesting time. And I really enjoyed my time at Keep when I was working there. Uh, and I worked there about almost about two and a half years right around there. And then after that, I decided that I wanted to actually take my career even a step further and wanted to actually try a new challenge. So I joined another startup that was based in LA 
but not so much about moments-based rewards within advertising, but more along the lines of loyalty points. So this idea behind acquiring loyalty points in games and apps, then being able to use these loyalty points on what we consider to be a reward wall, not an offer wall like you typically got with Taptoid, but a reward wall where there are brands on there that are offering different types of rewards that you could engage with and redeem that were real, that would be sent to or shipped. Think along the lines of like an Xbox or something like that, right? So again, when I look at that product and what we're doing there, the engagements are great. But again, trying to get advertisers to want to go in there and spend Where more than their mental budget, it was few and far between. Yeah. What was the company called, by the way? Lutzi was the name of the company. So Lutzi was yeah, the yeah. other one that I joined. And I guess my whole belief was quite simply put this. I believe that when you played a video game, it'd be really cool to get something, right? Just anything, yeah. right? And because yeah. of that, I think that's what led my conviction in both those cases of both those startups. But again, both those startups were up against the exact same uh, challenge, which is advertising at the time when we talk about digital was shifting toward programmatic. So anything we got was like more the experimental budget, not quite the really the, uh, the more standard buys you would typically see and getting written into those buys actually. So overall, both those startups failed. And um, I, I guess I'm a two-time failure in startups, but the interesting part is the people I met along the way would serve to actually pave the way for my future career. And I thought that was really cool. I remember actually when I failed my second startup, which Lutzi, right? And I was there for, again, another two and a half years, so five years in total, right? I remember my parents were telling me, my mom was calling me and she's like, Steven, you remember that job at IBM? I'm like, yeah. She goes, you should have never left. You should have been at IBM. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Collect your W-2 and make a lot of money doing it. What were you thinking to go and start? So my dad was like literally right on top of that. Yeah, your mom's right. You failed basically. And, I, and it really stuck with me because for a while there, having to fail too and listening to your parents kind of reinforce it, with some tough medicine. It's they interesting, right? Like you, you're almost like the black sheep in the family. You're yeah. acting so different. You know, you're here, you're the, either you're like multi-generation, you just kind of yeah. have like that blue collar job or or if you're like immigrant parents, you want your kid to have like that dream American job and anything that's risky, it's like, what the heck did we do to, <laughs> to come oh. here? So it's, it's interesting you say this. I've actually one VC friend, Shaheen Farshi, I'll actually name him like, a, and he basically said, one thing I asked him was like, hey, why aren't there more, you know, people of our culture, for example, either or not just even like like our community for Persian specific, but like in general, in technology, more entrepreneurs, you know, like for the general masses that are in tech. He says there's two types of like level of people. There's either this is again, this is it's generic, but like he was saying, you either come from massive wealth. So, you know, let's just make an example. Zuckerberg, for example, Mark Zuckerberg's family comes from wealth. I believe their parents are medical industry. And for him to fail, like Facebook was okay. Like he had some assurance in the background. The other flip side is like, say, of Vivek Ranadive, who came to the US to MIT with maybe a couple hundred bucks in his pocket. And when he started TIPCO, he had nothing to lose anyways. So his perspective is like, I go all in. And now he's obviously TIPCO publicly traded for almost, I think, something like 20, 30 years. He is uh, you know, a billionaire in assets and like owns the Sacramento Kings. So they're doing great. But like those are the two kind of spectrums. If you're in between, it's even harder. And so like these stories you just mentioned about your parents, it's the same as I've had with mine. So like what happened at that point? <laughs> you're like, okay, five years in, you're hearing it from your folks and you're like, man. So uh, I can tell you that with my folks, it was interesting because I think it goes back to, and just, just to bounce off of what you just said, it's, it goes back to the fact that when I was in college, I really wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. Show how many times have we heard that? Right? Yes. Those are the things that will be successful. Well, where did you grow up, Ashley? Like out of curiosity. Like, uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. So I was born and raised in Portland. 
And I'm okay. Korean by, by ethnicity. So my, my family, like being an Asian family, it was like doctor or lawyer. But I sucked, <laughs> admittedly, I sucked at math. And whenever I tell this to people, they laugh because they think there's no way. But I'm terrible yeah. at math. But I was really good at – actually, when it came to my finances courses, I was good at those. So it was money, okay. But math, terrible, right? But when I look back at that, I would say that with my family, like my mom and dad have always had kind of an impression of what they wanted me to do. Sure. And um, along the time, though, ever since I was a little kid, all I really wanted to do, believe it or not, was play video games. I know this sounds crazy. I love video games. I played them ever since I was a little kid. And I remember my dad got my first computer that he got me. It was an Intel-based computer. He gave me this computer thinking that I would learn how to program, but all I did was play video games. I remember my parents telling me I would play these things up until like four or five in the morning. They'd be like, go to bed. You're never going to be successful playing these damn video games. And it's interesting because it kind of goes back, goes into the next part of my life story in terms of what happened to me with my career. I ended up uh, deciding at that point, uh, you know, I really wanted to kind of change my direction in my career. After two startups, I wanted to try something that was a bit different. I actually wanted to go back to a big company. I wanted to go to a company that I really well respected. I thought made really great products and those products and services they made that people really believed in. In other words, I wanted to go somewhere where everyone felt value was there, right? And mm-hmm. um, so I set my sights on Apple and I got really, really lucky in that at the time, uh, one of the people that worked at Keep, my first startup, had moved into a position at Apple that I really, really admired, which is on the, the App Store business management team for games. Very this is cool. a team yeah. also for the remit of the growth of the business of games on the App Store, but also they also have you know, influence and the ability to be able to talk to editorial for feature. Yeah. So it's, it's the ideal unicorn position. It's a position that basically when we went to at a casual connect back in the day show bear, these yeah. are the people who was a hound, right, to talk to. And I, and I had a chance to basically, because of this colleague that I had, Mark, he basically gave me an opportunity to interview at Apple. And um, I basically interviewed at, at Apple for the App Store role. It was many, many interviews. But out of all those interviews, I got the job. And I could say the reason why I got the job was because, again, this connection that I had back from my first startup, which I failed, that allowed me to have this opportunity to work at Apple. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, the Apple, first off, to join Apple is like pretty amazing being that it's the mothership of all tech when you think of it, right? Steve Jobs, Wozniak, you know, the Apple devices growing up when, you know, the, the when, at least this is aging me, growing up in school, that was all the devices that you had. And then for us, like, especially for like you and I, we've been in the App Store days since the inception. And so to like have the opportunity to work at the the mothership and see like like literally everything from the app store in and ins and outs. And it must've been like an incredible experience. And the fact that you're like now, like working with all these kind of companies who have incredible IPs and games that are like literally touching everybody now, like you literally are helping everybody like play these products and have a yeah. good time yeah. and have a great day. So like, do you have any interesting stories? Obviously I jokingly say this, but in tra- reality, like Apple obviously gets everybody to say you have unlimited stuff to discuss, but if there any cool stories you can share. Um, I can share this. For sure. And this is for anyone that's definitely listening. Feel free to pass it along. If anyone wants to verify it with me, they can. I, when I entered Apple, I was super excited. I was like, oh man, like finally, like I could see what's inside the black box. That's awesome. I mean, you were literally looking at every product that all these game companies, all these from like a one, two person shop to a public company like Electronic Arts, the Zingas of the world is mm-hmm. now 2K. You know, like you literally are like you and your team are managing that. And kind of yeah, we, to scale we I, the business around it. So, and obviously, I don't want to just dive in too much and like, to, but this is interesting because not everybody has this type of experience, even myself, for that fact. So, yeah, it seems pretty cool. 
Yeah, I could tell you as well, like in terms of the area that I focused in on Apple, and I've, I've said this publicly, so it's okay for me to kind of disclose this part. Really, when it came to just helping out game developers, because I did help out a lot, the areas that I think I focused on the most was around user-generated content experiences, um, MMORPGs or massive role-playing games that are, are tied to those kind of UGC type of experiences. And of course, the other part where I was very, very unique, there was no one else that was covering at the time other than me. I was the subject matter expert, directly responsible individuals for all things that were considered NFT or blockchains for the App Store. Not because uh, Tim Cook or anyone at the leadership team said, hey, Steve Cho, you, we want you to do it. It was just something that, one, I had a personal interest in a lot, and they saw that in me. And that's the cool thing about working at Apple. If they see a personal interest in you and what you want to actually go out there and do for, for the App Store, I think that's encouraged, right? Like to go out there and explore these things. Is this the first time you actually were getting into the so um, blockchain technologies yeah. during your time at Apple, or did you actually do it on the side? Like, what, like did well, you yourself? Sorry. I joined Apple in 2017, and in 2017, as soon as I started, you know, I started, you know, the, the cool thing about this role and being in this position at the App Store, you, you're supposed to come up with ideas. In fact, everyone comes up with ideas. But in this sure. role, you're testing hypotheses to see what is the next quantum leap growth opportunity for the App Store when it comes to games. So for me, I've always kind of tested the waters. Back in 2017, CryptoKitties had just like started and it, it didn't scale on Ethereum. And then the entire cycle was dead by the time we got to about 2018 late, right? So when that happened, it kind of, I think, pretty much tilled any sort of like progress was made around being interested in blockchain and NFTs for that cycle. But then what we did is when we got to 2021, we saw NBA Top Shot and we saw Axie Infinity. We saw a lot of volume happening on the internet. And we see that yeah. kind of volume happening on the internet. That's a lot of sales that are happening, probably not within the, the confines of the app store. And it's not that we look at these things and go, hey, how do we get, how do we participate? It's more along the lines of understanding, hey, there's a digital phenomenon over there. How do we understand that phenomenon better and see if that's something that maybe our users would potentially want to participate in, or maybe our users want to participate in it. If that's the case, we should look into it. So again, very product-driven, very user-driven company, right? So for us, yeah. it was all understanding that. And remember, it's the same sort of messaging, security, privacy, safety. These things matter. We want our users to be able to experience these experiences, but not feel like they're getting fleeced or getting rugged, right? So I think when I look at all that, those were kind of the interesting bits. And, and to give you an idea, the one thing I should have said, I feel bad, the reason why I had this, I guess, initial interest in wanting to do this with the app store when I was there is because remember that first startup I told you about back in 2013, Keep? Yes. Well, at that first startup, Chaubert, I remember I was with my biz dev team because at the time I was a VP of biz dev at Keep, which is another story in and of itself because I actually didn't start off as a, the VP of biz dev at Keep. I started off as a business development intern getting paid the California minimum wage. We can dig wow. into that later if you want, but I remember I went up to two of my business development people that were they were quote unquote hard at working. And I remember there was like a blue screen and I went up to them. I said, Hey, I know you guys aren't doing your job. What is that? And it was there that one of them said to me, this is Coinbase. And I said, what's Coinbase? And said, it has to do with Bitcoin. I go, what is Bitcoin? So 2013 is when I first got my first Bitcoin. So I'm a Bitcoin bull from the 2013 cycle. And I never stopped really believing or stopped wow. really kind of collecting those Bitcoin that end up becoming tokens that end up becoming this crazy place that we have within web three. So that's yeah. what made me uniquely qualified to handle this for the app store at the time when I was there. Got it. This yeah. is great. Uh, like, so I have a couple, couple of, I mean, that's great. It's good background. I mean, I, I have a different story around that time, maybe a couple of years later, I think it was around 2015 when I was at Pebble where we did the second Kickstarter campaign. And we actually afterwards allowed uh, Pebble purchases to be done with Bitcoin. No one at that time was mm, nice. at that time. It was like about two, $300 a, a coin. So I look back, I'm like, mm, I should have, but it's okay. I mean, it's like, it's interesting to see kind of the involvement of, I mean, that's just like with the 
currency side and now like the nft side obviously being like digital assets and you know tangible products more digitally but i wanted to actually unbox two things the first is you were working in the app store in apple right and this is obviously the mothership to you know you're talking about a company that uh you know it's known to have this walled garden um you know because you were just mentioning of you know a high quality bar of assurance you know product perseverance and as well as just like certifying like the code, the software, and security. That's so. Those are a few things. And then the other is like the blockchain crypto world is decentralized, meaning like this is ideal is like to be open, more free, and allowing like users to kind of swap products between apps and games, which is a little bit more complicated if you want to do that within, say, like an iOS product, possibly. So, how could you kind of address? I know it's by the way, this is so early. Uh, it's still 2022 and. This is not happening. I mean, I, I don't see it. There's no products right now that are, uh, I would say, like almost a hybrid solution of connecting iOS and Android-based products on mobile phones to allow mm-hmm. you to swap products easily, even with like these wallets like uh, you know OpenSea and others and their platforms. So I thought I'd ask you that, and then I'll go into like back into like the crypto-specific like space. So I, I, I can tell you this. I mean, really where this is interesting to me is that we're really much living in a digital phenomenon. That digital phenomenon that we're living right now in is that the internet is evolving. It's changing. It's growing. It, it has been this entire time. But more so now than ever, are we seeing some of those changes really taking place and some of those changes really being like embraced, right? An example of that is this idea behind the internet deserving its own money. The internet currently right now, when you look at the internet today, commerce is done through a credit card, right? But then someone will probably raise their hand and go, wait a second, some people out there probably use Bitcoin to do commerce. And that's exactly my point, is that what we're mm. seeing is the internet developing, devising its own form of money that's sovereignless, nationless, but its own form of money that's generally accepted, right? That is more impervious to probably, I would say, overall currency manipulation from sovereign currencies. That's number one. And I do believe that when we talk about this, like how does, I guess, maybe the app store kind of participate in that avenue of it? Well, a lot of the app store's transactions right now are done by credit card, by gift card, right? So the first thing to kind of check mark off is how would they compete in a more, in a more non-sovereignist type of internet money type of currency that potentially could be there? Could they accept something like that? Currently yeah. right now, I don't think they do accept that as a current form of payment. I could be wrong at this time of this recording and they could have accepted it. But as of right now, they don't. So that's probably the first obstacle, right? The second obstacle would be along this idea behind, uh, you're right, being able to effectively trade out of different types of pieces of digital content seamlessly. And how would you do that using, I guess, what the iPhone currently has to offer today? And I don't want to get too much into product because I wasn't a product guy. I was more the app store guy. But I can tell you this, it's really comes down to this. I think for the app store to really kind of maybe even embrace it further because they've already put guidelines out, which is great. And I'm glad, glad they did that. But the next step would probably be is really asking, you know, looking at users and seeing what users are really kind of embraced in terms of the Web3 NFT types that they would want to collect, right? Sure. So again, with Apple, it's never been, hey, we're going to go build this thing, right? We're just going to build it right? and then see what happens. I think sometimes it's, it's really kind of an understanding, engaging overall interest as well for what our users would want as well. So in that case, what would they want on the, like, for the device to do? And if one of those things is to effectively help that user safely, securely, and privately manage their digital content to be able to effectively trade it, I would probably assume the fact that uh, Apple would take a hard look at that just because they know that's something that a user would find utility out of using a device. Uh, yeah. it, would be, it would behoove them to do that because if they didn't, if they wanted to, every time a user to take a Ledger Nano, connect it to their computer, go on MetaMask, and I have no problems with either technology, 
I use Ledger, I use MetaMask, I use all that stuff. So yeah. my thing is, but if that's the user experience they want people to have with their Mac, their iPad, their iPhone, then so be it. But I like to think that Apple likes seamless user experiences. Yes, I completely agree because Apple wants everything iOS, one-stop shop, easy, yes. like swipeable, yes. shareable, or even like when you just like Apple Pay, it's just like, boop, it's just like populates. Exactly. If you want to use your face and or your fingerprint, you like as seamless as that, like when it comes to like paying off yeah. something. So I agree. And I do, I do foresee, and you made a great point about like, and so here's what I see what Apple does all the time. They step back, they see what pops up, populates. They see if it really becomes like an actual thing into fruition as an industry or vertical in tech, then they come in, right? So like the timing now is still good for people to try things and create like platforms, either obviously mostly decentralized, but if you want to create like a a centralized platform to focus on one thing, i.e. like a wallet or a platform for NFT collection, then, you know, like these companies have popped up. Would Apple get into that? It's possible, but you know, like they, they come in when it's like the time is right. Yeah. And so maybe it's not yet into mainstream population. The tech is not there. I mean, there's a huge, there's a lot of subtopics like, you know, the infrastructure is not there. But the, in general, it's an exciting time. I mean, you're in, involved. So you broke down a little bit like the, you know, the big company versus like the products and what they can have. How about like, you know, talking about, you were talking about a little bit, um, the tokens, the currencies, and where they're at, as well as like the, the overall industry. Because I believe now your current job is your partner at Mechanism Capital, head yep. of MechPlay. Can you explain a little bit this company and then how this is like yeah, relatable sure. now? I left Apple in January from the App Store um, after like, you know, a great career. And I got to tell you, like, if anyone out there wants to work for the App Store, specifically in the role that I had, it was I would tell you that it's, it's the best job I ever had, period. period. It was okay. the best job. Loved it. Loved it. But um, really, I kind of the only thing that I, I would leave it for was something where I could actually no longer actually be working as a job, but something I actually had a piece of. That's a partnership. So I joined Mechanism Capital. Mechanism Capital has been around since like the, the DeFi boom. So it's been around for a few years. And in the time it's been around, it's been very successful at what it's done. Really catching, I guess, uh, De- DeFi at the very start, riding DeFi all the way up. And then, of course, also capitalizing on what we're seeing with the emerging Web3 kind of new internet type of stuff. And I, and I could say that in terms of the area that I focus on is really the Web3 interactive side. Mech Play, although when I think there's some publications that wrote down that it's a play-to-earn fund, it's much more than just a play-to-earn fund. I consider Mech Play to be an interactive fund. So decentralized applications, decentralized games, all that stuff that typically where I would kind of vet and review these things for the App Store when it came to games I would do the due diligence currently right now on all that deal flow. So any deal flow that has to do at the consumer and user level, it could be the next generation Tinder. I don't know. I'd love to see it. You know, if anything, it just shows a lot of innovation, a lot of great ideas and a lot of embracements within trying to find a way to take these smart contracts and what we consider to be Web3 and apply it to what um, potentially is, uh, you know, a a more dated Web2.0, Web2.5 internet. Yeah. Do you have any public, uh, you know, announcements or anything you've invested in that uh, gives a little bit more you know, like insights on what like kind of companies you've invested in? Okay, so I can give you one that I think, I think this is out. So if I get in trouble, I'll find out later, Shilbert, but Branch.gg is an investment that we made. They're making a game right now called Castaway. Well, not making, they've made the game called Castaways. It's amazing. It's a play to own game. Uh, you should definitely check it out. It's actually um, gotten some press over a period of time and, and it's overall in terms of DAU and MAUs, it has been growing I believe yeah. also it has a, you know, it's, it's obviously connected and partnered up with Limit Break as well, which I think is Gabe Layden's latest creation for Web3. So I do feel that the space is growing. So I think when I first started, it was all about play to earn. Then we learned about play to earn. 
There's now been a m- many different types of iterations as people are experimenting with different types of monetization models. So we haven't heard the last of it, but the cool thing about it is when we look at kind of like the overall landscape of it, it's this. It's kind of a, it's not really a hypothesis, more of kind of like the way I see general direction. Free-to-play gaming as we know it today is a bit commoditized. And that, like it's the same games over and over again. If you look at the App Store, it's the same game show bear. Maybe there's one or two that are different, but this is not the days of like 10 years ago, we saw Breakout hit every year, right? Two or three. Correct. So if you think about the innovation that's happening within free-to-play gaming, it's almost like they need to find another like North Star that I believe could be an amazing opportunity. What's not better than actually the users owning a piece of that experience or finding a way to invest in that experience where now they're seeing some residual off the, the money that's being made by other people playing the game. Enter in NFTs and blockchain technologies. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Okay. And then can you, I guess, like high level, can you explain to the general, because like this is like, I think most of my audience is more general tech listeners. Um, yeah. So like, where is the NFT, like metaverse, web three gaming market right now? Like how many, because I think if I have a high level name, like Animoca is the biggest funder of this space. And you're like, you're talking about like, who are some of the big companies? You brought up CryptoKitties when it comes to like a t- uh, NFT collection of characters. That's a big popular one. You know, there's obviously Sandbox VR, right? Like as far as our product, like, but like, on a, like maybe like one minute, kind of dive in on like this, where the market is, where it was, where it is, and where do you think it's going to go 2023 on? Yeah, and I really appreciate you asking that question. And I can tell you that I didn't really prepare specifically for it, but I think I'm going to take a great stab and I think you're going to like what I have to say. So Please. where we're at is this. I think what we saw like in 2021 was really kind of NBA Top Shot and Axie Infinity. I think those two are kind of leading the charge, right? NBA Top Shot really going for the digital collectible space and Axie Infinity really pioneering this new model called Play to Earn. To me, those are like bangers right out of the gate. These are two different experiences or digital phenomenons that we're using this idea behind an NFT, right? When we talk about NFTs, everyone always always gets hyped up like, oh, it's an NFT, whatever that means. I like to kind of think of NFTs and Ethereum and other layer ones that are like Ethereum almost as kind of the anti-piracy software, the layer of the internet. Mm, that's really that we've never seen before. To make sure that digital rights are managed in an effective way that doesn't require lawyer and counterparty to now go into some sort of like legal dispute in order to resolve, right? It's right there on the blockchain. So in that regard, I think Axie and, and NBA Top Shot were the two that really kind of led the charge. I think where the industry is at today is that we've seen some other emerging ones. Sandbox is a great example. I, I love Arthur and Seb. They're great. And I can yeah. tell you that it's great to see that they've seen success. But I think where we're at right now with the industry is we need more of these like uh, gaming bangers, like these big unicorns that come in and start showing what they have to offer. If you think of the early days of mobile gaming, that's exactly what happened in the early days of the App Store. Correct. It wasn't yeah. just one game. It was Angry Birds Rovio, right? But after that, it was followed by a series of other breakout hit games like Candy Crush and things like that that would then pave the way for us to understand, guess what? This is mobile gaming and this is a huge opportunity. Where I think we, we are with NFT gaming is exactly that. We saw NBA Top Shot. We saw Axie Infinity. So what is the next big ones that are going to come out? And, and I do have my own opinions about yes. what I think those are, but I think the Sandbox is great. Another one that I think you should check out is Ember Sword. I love Ember Sword. It's a great experience. I think, um, if anything, they just released more like footage of the game. And I think that could be uh, you know, uh, an amazing game out there. So I would tell you like overall, and again, Castaways was one that I just brought up as well. Like both of those are two experiences yeah. I really enjoy. But again, these are all just emerging, right? It's, it's still the actual space is still waiting for a few more like big hits in different ways of monetization for us to say that there's definitely this thing called Web3 gaming and it does exist. 
I do see a lot of companies moving this direction. One is at Apple at the App Store. I interviewed a lot of some of those big game developers out there, what they were doing. And I think just directionally, they all wanted to kind of understand and explore this space better before they dove into it. I would be surprised if we don't see at least one or two of those major studios release a blockchain type of experience on Web3, on the internet only, maybe not on mobile quite yet, but something that'll be amazing along those lines. So I would say those ones. Another one that I'm really excited about, Shrapnel. Check out Shrapnel. Shrapnel is a Web3-based blockchain game. Uh, This game is like Escape from Tarkov. If you've ever played Escape from Tarkov, which is more of like a survival-based game where they drop you on a map, you get as much gear as you can, and you try to escape the map to cash in your loot. That's basically Shrapnel Web 3, but now it's actually really your gear. You own it, which is super cool. So they're making some really cool stuff over there. So those are a few, yeah, I think. Are really great, these are really great examples. And I, so one of my, I have a kind of a theory too, is like there's this, like, I'll give you an example. Roblox is a great example, right? Like this is a, a metaverse digital like community of mostly teenagers. It's almost like a social network, but with like a avatar like character. And then you could enter in and out of different worlds, right? But they're more centralized. But the next wave would be like getting into like a sandbox, which is more decentralized. And then like you have your own real estate in the digital world. Like if you want to hang out with Snoop Dogg's digital sandbox, you can. Um, But I think there's a, as you mentioned, like uh, I think it's more like supply versus demand where right now the products are funny enough there. There's not enough demand for the usage. And it's kind of sad. I feel like there's a lot of qualitative products there. And you were mentioning back in the day, like early days of iOS and Android. And it was like, obviously the IP that everybody remembers was Angry Birds, right? Maybe you could say Fruit Ninja. And then you said, when when you said Candy Crush, you know, Candy Crush and like, you know, Supercell products, right? With um, their heyday and others that came in around 2012, about 10 years ago. Crazy to think, by the way, today was like the 10 year anniversary of Candy Crush, Right. Yeah, I mean, those products <laughs> years ago, smartphones be, went from like ten, like millions and tens of millions to hundreds of millions. Right wow. now, we have well over billions of these devices. And when you were managing in the app store, that's a huge ecosystem. That's you're talking about. You're you're pretty much managing almost more than a country, like almost like a government does, right? So I think that, you know, like trying to figure that out. That's like one. The other is like, yeah, if someone wants to bring like a cool mobile marketing experience like you were doing with Keep or like even for extent, like I was at Addiction of helping distribution to these companies. That's a fascinating play right now. I definitely could see that as an interesting company. Yeah. So, I mean, these are, these are really interesting topics. What else I guess I wanted to ask is what else is missing with like the digital world and the real world and gaming? Like how could yeah, this yeah. combine together now? I'm actually going to take the time to kind of like take you down my, my investment thesis for what I believe is going to be the future Perfect. of the internet. And it's, it's going to be kind of crazy. I know this is not the Joe Rogan show. This is a show, Barry, show, Barry show. But <laughs> I feel like that latitude is given to me. And because I know you're an amazing person, and you've always been a good friend to me. I don't mind actually sharing this live. Oh, I'll, I'll record it, but like literally share it because I've never really kind of like said this publicly. But I just really believe that when I kind of look at the future of the internet, I do believe it's going to be amazing. There's going to be massive job creation. Where I see that job creation happen is that I believe that kind of like when we look at the real world right now, a lot of it's already built out. If you think of the real world, like in terms of our infrastructure, our industries and things like that, there are parts of this world we probably haven't explored, but much of it's under the water, not necessarily actual land masses, right? A watch, you're going to have someone basically debunk me and tell me that's actually not true. There's actually parts <laughs> that we haven't explored, but yeah. like it or not, what it really boils down to, we've all kind of been trapped on this planet. If you think about it, like a lot of 
uh, what we see is space exploration ideas about maybe traveling to Mars. But even then, the likelihood of you and me, Chaubert, ever getting to Mars or even be lucky enough to get on a rocket to go there, if we could just endure the travel, is probably next to none. Like we'll probably not be able to do all that. So the question that remains for me is what is it that I get to explore? What's new and exciting for me that would be great for me to see that's the next best experience in flipping on Netflix and watching something on HBO Max, right? The, yeah. the truth of the matter is this. You and I are never going to get to explore outer space. A lot of our, your listeners today are not going to get to explore outer space. But I do believe that what the future of the internet could potentially be is that we could be exploring the inner space, the creativity of the human mind. And I believe that creativity of the human mind can be unlocked through the right type of creator tools. Gone are the days of using Objective-C, Swift, and HTML, and all these programming languages that happen to be a moat for the common person to go out there and build something amazing on the internet. Imagine a set of creator tools that are not only simple to use, but very much intuitive in terms of how we would use them. Imagine an internet that is immersive, not just a single plane of glass that you type on with your fingers and read, but something that's an immersive internet. Maybe something you put on your face. I'm not going to say what it is because I, I don't want to get in trouble. But the point <laughs> is, something you put on your face. Well, when you take into consideration all that, that the technology is there to make the internet more immersive, more vibrant, more live, what you have is an opportunity for us to build something amazing out there in what's considered to be, from my perspective, defies the laws of physics that isn't necessarily in a constant state of decay, an unlimited digital canvas to explore. What would we build? What would we create? What would we end up enjoying? And those creators that make these amazing things on the internet, who would pay to see those things? Would I want to pay my Netflix subscription to watch another episode of a TV show? Would I like to see Chaubert Show's world? Your own world, Chaubert, not to sell you on land, but like, yeah, yeah. like your own world that you created with your own mind. That is what we really enjoy. We socially as people like to connect. That's what we do as humans. But what better way of connecting than being able to express ourselves in an environment that allows us to see the unbridled creativity of the human mind. I think that is the future. I think there's going to be massive job creation. There's going to be a lot of opportunity on the internet. Yeah. Hey, I love it. I think it's, a, it, I love the whole concept that you brought up, the inner space, right? Because that is like more of a realistic place on the digital sphere where we all could get into. And yeah, I want to pop into Steve Chubb's world. Like I would love to like yeah. see you know, like what's happening in that space and like- Be careful what you wish for, Chaubert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Or just like, you know, like you said, maybe like it just like it, it's it open your imagination to almost just like practice. Uh, I would say practical stuff. Like what are some practical things? It could almost just be like a lens that you could put on your eyes and yep. you don't even need to do LASIK anymore. And now you're basically connected to the internet and you see clearly 2020 vision. Like okay. it, I mean, those are just like some examples of what technology can. And ideally that could be more of like a web three blockchain tech Imagine technologies that like probably have augmented reality. What you're really doing is then providing connective tissue from the real world to the digital world. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's like you're connecting the two worlds in a way. And when you connect them in that way, what you've really done is you've really kind of digitized the real world, right? And if you take into consideration maybe an apparatus you have on your face, imagine that apparatus as you walk around a room, it could digitally just create that room on the internet. I know that sounds bizarre and crazy, but we're not far off you think about that right and i have no industry i'm just speaking out of my like no no I, I actually agree with you i mean obviously zuckerberg's taking huge risks with meta like and doing that right that's one example yeah. uh, there is net niantic niantic from the very day one was a augmented reality yep. company and yep. they just wanted something where the general masses understand their tech 
and Pokemon yeah. was very sentimental to a very gaming community. And it was like from day one, I mean, it was insanity, like how wild that was. People were like trying to run to like Central Park, New York on a Friday night, you know, when traditionally they're probably having dinner or going out. Central Park trying to find one of those characters. And then, you know, the other side of it is, I mean, like I see like Teslas are self-driving crews. These companies use these type of products that are pretty much augmented and VR related to, you know, get us to where we want to go for end to end. So why does it have to be a car? Why can't mm-hmm. it be an experience for us? And so that experience would be timeless. And that experience would probably live be far beyond after we've died. And that experience, if monetized, could actually monetize not only for us, Chaubert, but our children's children's children's. That it would be a timeless piece of asset that would be something that our estate could benefit for for the rest of their lives generationally. And to me, that's crazy if you think about it, because now we're talking about like like really like far off stuff. But the other question that I ask myself is like, if you and I were to create such amazing content, where do you think potentially we could sell that content on or be able to effectively trade it? And, you know, like it, they're definitely on the internet, there are marketplaces, but it would Correct. be nice to have some company come along and rise to the occasion and be able to allow us to sell that content efficiently, safely, and privately, if you think about it. Just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> Startup idea, anybody? but yeah like i love it man this has been incredible i think we could go on and on talking about this space but it's been you know a lot of fun i I wanted to ask i'm always a big fan i mean obviously brought up a lot of the future stuff if there's anything else you could kind of give it as a nugget or any kind of tidbits or anything that you could share to anybody listening in and then also like any ways to connect with you that'd be great so you know just overall like when it comes to technology in the space especially like with web3 and blockchain I remain to be very helpful to everyone. Like I want to make sure everyone understands, especially your listeners as well. Like when it comes to at least where we are with Web3 and digital content and commerce, this is very much early innings. And I do believe that we all need to help each other get there, mm. especially in, in Wake of the New News with like all the different things you're hearing around Web3 and exchanges like FTX. Like now more than ever, we need each other. Uh, this is an industry that is just really beginning, right? And as a result, like I would like to remain helpful for everyone that's out there. If you have any questions or comments, like, yeah, definitely. And I'd say the other thing is, if there's a tidbit I leave you with is it's this. When I got into this whole crazy thing back in 2013, which was startups and Apple and all these, I never thought my career would like be where it's at today. And it just so happens that today of all days, it's, you know, it's a tough time to be in blockchain web three. I know a lot of people that probably experienced some of the burn and the pain of that. My heart goes out to you. But I got to tell you at the same time, when I look at the other side of this right now, given what's happened, that was some massive correction that happened out of the industry. Yeah. We have to take those lumps. But by taking those lumps, what's left over right now is diamonds, if you ask me. It was cool when it started. But right now with these corrections, with the industry facing the music, what's happened, I just see a very bright future for blockchain web three. We're learning, obviously, every industry learns, everything goes highs and lows. But right now, this is a great time for those that are listening. If you have ever an inclination to want to get in, I would say get educated, get informed, and start you know investing in things that you really believe in. I really believe in this space. I really believe uh, that we have a future that's bright on the internet. And Chaubert, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Steve Cho. This has been so much fun. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening in to the Chaubert Show. And uh, you know, thank you again, Steve. Have a great day.